Grace, uh, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. And uh, a happy Mother's Day once again to all of you moms. I hope you have a great Mother's Day and you are uh, filled with a sense of God's calling in your life. And uh, we're grateful for you and we lift you up in prayer this morning. As a kid, I remember uh, often going to the Orange County Fair in the summers. Anybody like going to the Orange County Fair summertime? Yeah. Orange County Fair is awesome. I would go... Growing up, I would go with my family. I would go with sometimes summer camp here at St. John's, sometimes with the youth ministry, uh, all sorts of ways we would go to the, the fair. And the uh, one thing I love about the fair is the cotton candy, and, but the most thing I most like is the cinnamon rolls. You know what I'm talking about? The cinnamon, yeah, okay. Can I get an amen? Amen. Those cinnamon rolls are good. I also like the zipper ride. They used to have that. I don't know if they still do anymore, but I did learn the hard way. Uh, have those cinnamon rolls after you ride the zipper, not before. You know what I'm talking about. But one of the other things I love at the Orange County Fair is those funhouse mirrors. I don't even know if they still have them there anymore or not, but when I was a kid, they did. And you know what I'm talking about? Those mirrors that you could go to and you look at and you see yourself. Some of them make you look really tall and skinny. Some of them make you look really wide and fat. Some of them make you look all distorted and twisted. Some of them make your face like four feet tall and your body one foot tall. Those mirrors are cool. They give you a different perspective on yourself. And if we could kind of look at those mirrors as kind of a symbol of what it means to look at ourselves, there have been a lot of studies that have discovered this important truth, that the way that we see ourselves determines a large, to a large degree how we live our lives, how we act, and how we react to the situations that come into our life, how we exist. And if we look into a clear mirror of truth, we are able to see ourselves as one, valuable. If we see ourselves as valuable, then we have a sense of peace. If we look into the clear mirror of truth and we see ourselves as acceptable, well, then we have stability in our lives. If we look in the clear mirror of truth, we see ourselves as capable, and then we know that we can accomplish things. If we look in the true mirror of truth, we see ourselves as forgivable. And more forgivable, we know that we have a confident humility before God and a relationship with each other that is grounded in truth. But you can go to the other side of it. And if we look at ourselves through those distorted, funhouse mirrors of life, and if we see ourselves as losers, well, the chances are we're going to set ourselves up to lose. If we see ourselves as victims, the chances are we're going to set ourselves up to be victimized. If we view ourselves as unlovable, the chances are we're not going to let other people love us. The painful truth is that all of us, to some degree or another, we have a sort of distorted image of ourselves. Many of our life experiences are like those distorted funhouse mirrors. Some of, ourself, some of ourselves in this room, we see ourselves as stupid or slow or dumb. Some of us, we see ourselves as ugly or plain or substandard. Some of us, we see ourselves as losers or inferior. Many of us in the room, we have negative images of ourselves. But the distortion can also go the other way, right? We can at times see ourselves as stronger than we are, smarter than we are, faster than we are, prettier than we are, godlike. We're always winning. We're 200%. We're superior. We have it all together. We're better than everyone else. A distorted, unrealistic view of ourselves is damaging. And so the Apostle Peter today, St. Peter, he has a few words for us that help us with our view of self. Now, if you remember St. Peter, St. Peter, he was a follower of Jesus. He was one of the 12 disciples. He was one of the inner three. 
He was the one upon whom the church is built, his confession of who Christ is. But Peter, Peter denied publicly Jesus three times. And when he did that, he fell into a spiral of depression and pain, and he saw himself only through the distorted mirror of shame and self-pity, and he saw himself as unforgivable and incapable, a loser. But when Jesus rose from the dead, what is one of the first things he did? When Jesus rose from the dead, one of the first things he did, he sent a messenger. He sent an angel to the tomb. And that messenger said to the women at the tomb, he said, go tell the disciples. And remember my sermon from my Easter sermon from three years ago? <laughs> All right, well, let me, let me give you a refresher. There's two little words there. Mark chapter 16, verse 7. Go tell the disciples and Peter. And Peter, well, he's a disciple. Why are you including him there? Because Jesus knew that he needed to hear that what he had done was forgivable. Go tell my disciples and go tell Peter, I'm going to see you in Galilee. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ restored Peter, restored him to life and a proper view of himself. And those distorted mirrors of shame and disgust and unforgiveness and all of that straightened out and he could see himself clearly the way Jesus sees him and his identity was restored. And that reality meant everything to Peter. Changed the whole trajectory of his life. And that reality means everything to us. And so St. Peter is speaking to our hearts this very morning, our identities this very morning. And he says, I want you to grow up in your salvation. I want you to continue to see yourself clearly day after day. And so he writes these words from 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. Like newborn babies crave spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. And as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, you're being built up, built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then Peter continues on in verse 9. He says, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's special possession so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. My friends, there is no distortion in this mirror here. The word of God is the only way that you can clearly see yourself. And St. Peter, he gives us seven clear images to define us and who we are, to define us as the church, as the people of God. And you know what? Those seven images were also applied to Old Testament Israel. And in that teaching, we begin, we begin to see that we are connected to a legacy and to a lineage that goes all the way back to the beginning. And Peter says to us, you are a spiritual house, you're a holy priesthood, you're a chosen people, you're a holy nation, you are God's special possession, you are the people of God, and you have received mercy. I mean, that's like a 25-week sermon series right there, but I want to kind of distill four truths. And if you're a note taker, now's the time. I've got four points for you. I usually don't do that, so here you go. Get that pens out, write them down. Four kind of truths that we can pull out of this text. And the first is that you are acceptable. So what do I mean by that? Verse 4 there in verse 9. Verse 4 says that you are chosen by God. Verse 9 says that you are a chosen people. 
Now, the reality is that most of us, we spend our entire lives trying to earn acceptance, right? We want to be accepted by our parents. We want to be accepted by our peers. We want to be accepted by our spouses. We want to be accepted by our bosses and our coworkers and those that work for us, by our children, by the person at the grocery store checkout. We want to be accepted. And that reality, it influences the decisions we make in life. It influences the kind of clothes we wear and what kind of car we drive, what kind of house we buy, what kind of career we choose, what kind of image we portray. It influences us in so many different ways, even when we were kids, right? Remember when someone in your peer group would say, I dare you to, and then what'd you do? You did it. You did it because you wanted to be accepted. You wanted to be chosen. That pursuit influences us big time. But 1 Peter chapter 2, 4 and 9 says that God, God chose us. God chose us. We didn't choose him. We didn't run after him. He ran after us, and he chose us. In fact, Peter uses that word far more than any other New Testament author. He says, you are chosen according to God's foreknowledge. You are chosen by the power of the Holy Spirit. You were chosen to do good. And this God choosing us, this God accepting us, it wasn't like when you would be picked first for the dodgeball team at recess because you were the best and you proved yourself to be the best dodgeball player, so you got picked first. God chose you. God chose you before you were born. I think Pastor Trevor mentioned this uh, a few weeks ago about um, Back to the Future, I think it was, wasn't it? Maybe it was back when you were a vicar when you were way more crazy, and now that you've kind of calmed down. <laughs> you mentioned uh, the DeLorean, right? Doc Emmett Brown, but you, mix, you missed the flux capacitor. That's the key ingredient. But now as a pastor, you got that, dude. The flux capacitor, you know what I'm talking about? That's the key ingredient to go back in, in time. And so if we would jump in that DeLorean, and I was going to say back to the future, I heard it, but I didn't say it. We're going to go back and pass. If we jumped in that DeLorean and we went back in time, we went back through U.S. history, we went back to Jesus and the disciples, we went back to Moses and Israel, we went back to Adam and Eve, we went back past Genesis chapter 1, back before God had created anything in the world, what was he doing? He was choosing you. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4, St. Paul says, he chose us. He chose us in him before the creation of the world. That's almost unfathomable. I don't even, you know, you could almost spend your whole lifetime trying to figure that out. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. There's a whole bunch we could talk about there, but I hope that you hear this morning that you got to hear in those words that you are acceptable to God. God has chosen you. Not only are you acceptable, but you are valuable. Value has a big price in our society, right? And how, what is it that determines value? The first thing that determines value is how much is someone willing to pay for something, right? How much is your house worth? Well, how much is someone willing to pay for it? The second thing is value is determined by uh, who has owned something, right? Like if I got up here and I had a, a glove with rhinestones all over it, and I was going to sell it to you, you would be like, I ain't giving you nothing for that, and that guy's weird, right? <laughs> but some guy paid $420,000 for a glove with rhinestones all over it. And it wasn't Michael Hayes' glove, it was Michael Jackson's, right? It's pretty crazy. So what about if I got up here and said, I want to sell you a pair of my slippers? You're like, no thanks, those things smell, all right? No way. But some guy paid $660,000 for Dorothy's red slippers from the Wizard of Oz. It's pretty crazy, right? A lot of money. Value. Who owns it? 
And what is someone willing to pay for it? Value. Who owns me? And what is someone willing to pay for me? 1 Peter 2, verse 9, you are a chosen people, you are a royal priesthood, you are a holy nation, and there it is, you are God's special possession. You belong to God. You're valuable. You're God's special possession. God owns you, and he is far beyond Michael Jackson or Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz, in my humble opinion. And what was he willing to pay for you? 1 Corinthians 6, 20 says that you were bought at a price. I remember a number of years ago, my wife and I, we lived up in Downey. Where I was a pastor up there. We were at the grocery store. We only had one little kid then, one little baby, Hopi, and she was so cute, like a porcelain doll. We'd take her to the grocery store, and uh, everyone loved her, right? And I remember one of the clerks one time said, oh, your baby is so cute. Que bonita, que muñequita. You know, they just loved her. And they said, how much can I pay you to adopt her, right? And I looked at her in the eye, and I said, There's no amount of money in the world that you could pay me to have this precious child. This is my child. This is my daughter. And when we see in that truth and that reality that this is where the divine love transcends, it's almost unfathomable, it's radical, it's out of this world. We can't even relate to it at times, but we are humbled by it. That God the Father gave up his only child so that we might be called his children. It's beyond comprehension, but it feels so right. It feels so good that we are acceptable, we are valuable. We're valued by God. You're acceptable, you're valuable, you are capable. 1 Peter 2.9 says this, you are a chosen priesthood, but it also says you are a chosen people, but you are also a royal priesthood. That doesn't mean that we're all going to start wearing robes and stuff next week. What does that mean? It means that priests in the Old Testament, they did big time stuff, big stuff for God. And the two benefits that priests had in the Old Testament are now available to everybody who is a believer here in the New Testament era. The Old Testament priests, they had two functions. First, they had direct access to God, and for everyone else to get to God, they went through the priest. And the second is that they represented God to the world and to God's people. And so Peter's saying these truths of the Old Testament priests are now yours. Everyone in this room today, everyone here who believes in Jesus, first, you have direct access to God. When Jesus was nailed to the cross and the temple was torn in two, the curtain was torn in two from top to bottom, it was the Father's way of saying that through the death and resurrection of my Son, you are all capable of accessing me. You, I am your Father. The second thing is now we represent the Lord to other people. It's what we were built for. St. Paul talks about this priesthood in another way. In in, in verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 2, he says, we are God's handiwork. Or we are his masterpiece. We are his creation. We are his craftsmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. We call that share here at St. John's, right? Share Christ with our words, with our service, and with our resources. Those are the good works that God has called us to, which he's prepared in advance for us to do. And God says that you are capable of doing it because you are God's workmanship in Christ Jesus. And if God is the one that's working you and creating you and making you, you are not some cheap mass-produced particle board furniture that lasts a couple of years and thrown away, right? You're not that. Your workmanship, your creation of the artist. And his workmanship takes time, it takes individual attention, it takes planning, it takes forethought, it takes hard work, it takes sacrifice, it takes attention to detail, choosing the right materials. You are unique and there's no piece identical to you. You're built to last, you're built for a purpose, you're capable. 
You're a royal priesthood, Peter says. You have direct access to God the Father. And he's built you to reach the world with his power and his truth and his love. You are acceptable. You are valuable. You are capable. But most importantly, and the foundation upon which it's all built, is you are forgivable. There are too many people out there in the world, and you might be one of them in the room today, you think that there is no way There is no way that God could forgive me for what I've said, what I've thought, and what I've done. There's no way that anyone could forgive me. There's no way that God could have mercy upon me. I don't know how many times I've heard that. I've had grown men in my office and on the phone crying to me for the things that they've done, saying, could God forgive me? Am I forgivable? The apostle Peter thought that very same thing. He had denied the Lord of the universe He went into the depths of despair. But Jesus rose from the grave. And Jesus personally sent his messenger to Peter. Jesus personally went to Peter and he reinstated him to life and to ministry. And he said, Peter, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. You can do this, Peter. And that guy who denied Jesus, who was looking at himself in distorted truth, was able to see himself clearly through the word of God, through the mirror of Jesus Christ. He went on to be one of the greatest leaders of the church, the foundation upon which the church is built in his confession. He wrote two books in the Bible. The Gospel of Mark is based after him, and he died for his Lord and Savior, Jesus. All things are possible with God. All things are forgivable with God. Peter knew it. He experienced it in his being. It's why he wrote These epistles, he knew the power of the resurrection and he wanted that power for us. And so in verse 10, he says those words. He says, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You are the people of God. You have received his mercy in Jesus Christ. He died for you. He rose for you. That is your reality. That's your identity. There's a famous sociologist by the name of Dr. Charles Cooley, and he wrote these words. He said, your self-worth is determined to a large degree by what you think the most important person in your life thinks about you. My friends, Jesus has earned the right to be that most important person in your life. Stare clearly into the mirror of his word. Look deeply and intently at it, day after day, year after year. Don't look to the distorted mirrors of the world and of yourself and of your own mind and your own thinking and the culture and what's out there in the media. Look deeply and clearly into the clear mirror of the word of God. See yourself for who you are. See yourself the way God sees you and Jesus sees you. And Peter declares it, that you're acceptable, that you're valuable, that you're capable, that you are forgivable. Peter wrote it this way. Verse 9, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have. Amen? Amen.